Welcome to the Rebel Heart Coaching Podcast, where BSN registered nurse, integrative health practitioner, and board certified life coach Samantha Shatek teaches you how to go beyond managing your circumstances and start intentionally creating a life you love using her proven strategies. Well, hey there, Rebel Hearts. I am super excited because I have someone really special with me today. I have Aaliyah Sheehan, and I'm so excited for this guest. You're going to want to tune in. You're going to want to stop what you're doing and keep listening because Aaliyah is going to share some really amazing wisdom with us. I just know it. I met Aaliyah actually really recently. We went on a retreat together uh, to Mexico, and I hadn't met Aaliyah before. And we had a mutual community in common, and it was such a blessing. And I got to know Aaliyah a little bit there. And then afterwards, we started meeting here and there. And when I heard Aaliyah's story, I was just even that much more inspired by her and her journey. And so I want to just read a little bit of a bio about Aaliyah because she's done a lot of cool stuff, and she's a really amazing person. So Aaliyah Sheehan, she's a dedicated student who discovered the transformative power of yoga at the tender age of nine. So through all these years of practice, Aaliyah has cultivated a profound sense of awareness and equanimity that would shape her path. In 2006, Aaliyah embarked on a new chapter of her journey by sharing her wisdom and expertise with others. So Aaliyah began teaching yoga classes, conducting workshops, intensives, and even leading yoga teacher trainings in the Twin Cities here in Minnesota. So she has an ERYT 500 certification, as well as a bachelor's degree in early childhood education from the University of Minnesota. So Aaliyah is super well-equipped with all of her knowledge to guide and inspire others. But Aaliyah's dedication does not end with yoga. She's also explored aromatherapy for over a decade, harnessing the healing potential of plants and scents. Currently, she's pursuing her level one clinical aromatherapy certification, and Aaliyah is super passionate about integrating these aromatic practices into her holistic approach. In 2019, Aaliyah faced a life-altering challenge with the breast cancer diagnosis, yet Aaliyah emerged from this experience with a newfound mission. She is determined to change the paradigm surrounding breast health, sharing her personal journey towards wholeness, and inspiring others to find their own path to healing and completeness. Outside of yoga and aromatherapy endeavors, Aaliyah finds joy in simple pleasures of life. She loves spending time with family and friends, exploring the outdoors, and she's usually accompanied by her faithful Kavapu companion, Shama. Aaliyah also finds solace in meditation, nourishes her body through cooking, and likes to expand her mind through reading. Can you believe that bio? Aaliyah, <laughs> welcome to the show. <laughs> How are you? Thank you. So good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I want for the listeners, I want you to just dive right in, starting at your journey with how you found out that you had breast cancer and what that journey was and, and what that was for you. And also I have a question for you. Yeah. How old are you right now? 
Currently, I am almost 42. Okay. So yeah. um, how old were you in 2019 when you found uh, thir- out? So I was 39. Okay. Okay. Yep. 39. Just putting that in context. So for mm-hmm. all you listeners right now, just so you know, I do know a little bit about Aaliyah, but this is going to be my first time too. She's going to take me on a journey and I'm super excited to learn about her and all of her wisdom. So Aaliyah, do you want to just dive right in to your journey? Sure. Sure. I'll take you back to uh, probably I would say November of 2019. I had um, a weekend with my teacher um, at the time, my teacher is Rod Stryker, Yoga Rupa. If anybody's familiar with um, Par Yoga, he'd been my he's been my teacher for um, I would say what maybe fifteen years now. And so he was at the time I was living in San Francisco, and he was visiting. And I was in a place where I was very lost living in San Francisco. Um, I had left um, Minneapolis about almost like five, well, four and a half years prior. And because I was burnt out from being a yoga teacher and that whole hustle and grind and teaching a lot of corporate yoga. And um, I went to San Francisco, just took a leap of faith, found some work out there. And so kind of fast forward to November and I was just extremely unhappy. Didn't know what I was doing with my life, but I knew I wanted a new city. So I had been visiting some other cities. I wanted to see my teacher. I wanted to get a one-on-one with him to gain some, have, you know, maybe just some one-on-one, some guidance from him. And let me tell you, it'd been like a couple years. He was there every year. It was, it was virtually impossible to get a one-on-one with him. It was very, very hard. And for whatever reason, I was on a wait list and I was called first thing that day. Like it was Saturday morning and they called my name and I was like, yes. And they said, She said to me, um, the gal running the the weekend said, "Um, you are on with Yoga Rupa today. And I said, what? And she's like, yep, you're first in line. I'm like, how did that happen? Wow. Um, Because that never happens because I was on a wait list. Um, So the day finished up. I found myself in front of my teacher and I just like immediately started weeping. I just tears streaming. And I was like, I'm so sorry. He's like, nope, let it out. This is the best place to do this. You're it's fine. And so I just told him, I'm like, I'm so unbelievably lost. And he's like, yeah, I don't understand why you're out here. I don't really see you here. And I'm like, well, I've got this job. I'm like crushing it. You know, I'm like making all this money, you know, living life on the high hog and traveling and all this stuff and like eating so much food. I (laughs) I ate my way through that city. You know, I was just like living life. And, you know, um, but I ended up. Um, you know, so we were like chatting and talking and he's like, okay. And he like closed his eyes. He's like, I'm going to give you a mantra. And he said, Argala mantra and the Argala mantra, which is the 11 names of divine mother. He said, I want you to say this, um, 40, you do it for 40 days in a row and you recite it out loud 11 times. And so that night I just started and probably, you know, weekend ended with my teacher and it was, you know, bittersweet. And I said, all right, I'm going to go to work Monday, kick it off, kick off the week, the week and the work week. And all of a sudden there was just like this really overpowering like voice inside that was just like, you need to make a doctor's appointment. You need to go to the doctor. You need to go. And I'm just like, I don't have time for this. Cause at this point it was early December and 
I had to get ready to leave for two weeks to Minnesota for Christmas and get my the family that I was uh, working for, get them out the door for their trip. And um, very long story short, after like a week of nagging, I finally got on the phone, called the doctors, and they're like, oh, we can see you tomorrow at 8.30. And I was like, oh, actually, that works. And I went in, and I just thought it was like a routine, you know, just I went in for my yearly physical kind of thing. And I remember when they started doing the breast exam, which I typically do because I do have large fibrous breasts. Um, I did, did my own, you know, so I knew that I had fibrous breasts and I remember we were just like chatting and she started feeling, she's like, when did this lump appear? And I said, I'm sorry, a lump. And is cause what's peculiar about the tumors that I had, they were interior of the breast as opposed to uh, near the armpit. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Immediately, I just, I think like the blood just drained from my head, my face. I think totally. I just like was about to pass out because you just don't want to hear that. Right. And, um, anyways, she immediately said, you need to have a mammogram. And I remember saying to her, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first thing. Um, because I just, things that I've heard, things that I've known about mammogram and, um, anyways, I, I don't think anything can prepare you to hear a lump has been found. Although there was a chance it could be a cyst, right? right? There was a chance. Um, But I think, and I'll I'll be honest, Samantha, deep down inside, I knew it was something more. Yeah. I had been, I had been in a bad place emotionally, spiritually, physically for a while. And I knew that there was some really unresolved hurt resentment, pain, Mm. trauma, whatever you want to call it, right? It was all of it. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I was in a bad place. I had some major stinking thinking. It was a move after a breakup, leaving yoga, ending friendships, leaving my family, which I adore and love so much. And I never wanted to leave them. But I also found myself in a job where I could come back to Minnesota four times a year Mm. So I was like, but I'm living, I'm like basically Minnesota for a whole month out of 12 months, you know? So it was like, you know, but I kept going, but inside there was, there were some holes that needed filling. Mm. There were some holes. Yeah. And, um, I remember I called my sister after that appointment and I just, I don't even know. I just never heard myself cry like that, you know? And I just remember just trembling and my sister was like, okay, well, you're going to be home soon and let's get you in to get a thermography. So I got, you know, on the horn, just started calling around to get a thermal imaging done. And for those that don't know what thermal imaging is, it's basically a, a you know, a camera that detects different, you know, heat basically in the body. And so I scheduled, yeah. Can you just tell for the listeners, and I know you might go into this a little bit later, can you just explain mm-hmm. for anyone that, cause I can just hear the, some listeners maybe saying like, why not mammography? Because a lot of us aren't even presented with the option to not do that. And a lot of us didn't know or don't know about thermography. Can you just take a moment to explain the differences and what your, what the benefits of thermography might be over doing a mammogram? Yeah. So just for me, the research that I've done and, you know, I'm not, um, a medical, I'm not like in that field, but from the research that I've done 
after doing research, it just did not resonate with me because of the amount of pressure that is put on the breast tissue at one time. Um, I knew of women that had um, been not diagnosed with stage four cancer, even with a mammogram. And I understand why in Western medicine, they use the three forms of detection, you know, MRI, um, ultrasound and mammogram. Um, but mammogram, you know, for example, in Belgium, from what I found doing research, Belgium is no longer using it because it may actually cause ductile invasive ductile carcinoma. And so that just did not resonate with me, did not feel right. And, um, I'm just really glad. Did you know that thermography existed before you even found out that you had lumps in your breast? Did you know that, did you know about thermography or is that something that you researched as you found out? So I had, I had heard about it because of my sister. She's an acupuncturist. And I remember she was at an event where there was a woman or maybe it was through essential oils. I can't recall right now, but I did hear that you could do like a scan to check like where there's inflammation, where there's more heat. Cause where there's more heat, there's most likely inflammation. Something's going on. There's, um, lack of flow of, um, lymph, for example, there's blockages, that kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I made that appointment and that was on January 6th. And I remember the woman when, you know, I look back at those thermography images, um, you know, I was also like 30 pounds heavier. My breasts were the largest they've ever been. It was like, I knew something was wrong. Now looking back, I remember like, feeling my armpit once. And I was like, why is my armpit so big? (laughs) Like, am I getting fat in my armpit? But it was all of this congestion and all of this inflammation. Right. And so just looking back at the image and the woman, she was like, you need to rub frankincense on your breasts. (laughs) I remember her saying like every day. And um, she's like, so then what happens with thermal imaging? Those images are sent to three different doctors and they review them. And through that, they recommended that I check my iodine levels, vitamin D, and just basically, you know, just kind of do a a once over on all of my, my, um, my blood work, my panels. And from there, I found out I did that work when I came back to San Francisco in like February of 2019. And I was like, low iodine, low vitamin D, B. I was basically anemic. Mm. My ferritin levels were like at a 12. Everything was really low. Um, so something metabolic- metabolically wasn't right, right? Something was way, way off. And um, so that brings me to like February of 2019, COVID started happening. Yeah. Wow. You know, um, things started closing down. We shut, we were on lockdown before anybody else in the nation. Um, and you know, when I got back, I knew that I had to get my mind right. So it was like meditation, yoga, nidra, everything wrapping around, dissolving the accumulated resentment and anger and frustration, agitation, like everything and managing my stress levels better. Mm. Um, and really what I did, what I started to realize was how much I had been abandoning myself. Wow. And as a result, 
things were breaking down, right? Things had broken down on a physical level, but it was ultimately my heart that was broken. Mm -hmm. It was my spirit that was broken. My connection to divine was broken. I was just, it just felt like fractured or what's the word? Mm -hmm. It was just like um, splintered. Yeah. Splintered. Yeah. Fragmented. It was just like pieces of myself and just slowly, it was day by day, just like recollecting myself mm. is what it felt like. Aaliyah, let me ask you right? a question about that. So mm-hmm. when you when yeah. you had kind of forgotten to tune into yourself, were you still going through the motions and the actions of like doing yoga, but and doing like some self care, but that there was something missing that was deeper? Like, were you still did you think you were still doing self care, but yet? in hindsight now, was there something missing or were you not doing those things at all? The meditation, the yoga? Yeah. So when I moved to San Francisco initially, I took a year and a half and I didn't stop put in a yoga studio. I needed a detox. Mm. I needed to just not be around that anymore. But I got back into it because one of my archetypes is I'm a teacher. Like that is something that comes very, very, um, easy. It's innate. I don't have, it's effortless. And, and I love being in that place. It's like a place of creativity for me. And I miss that part. So I started teaching at yoga tree in San Francisco yoga works. Um, I got hired on there and I was just a substitute teacher, which I love to, I love to serve. So for me, it was great. I was helping people out, but yet I still got to kind of flex my, my, my yoga teaching, you know, muscle. So it was perfect. Um, but at home, Yes. Yoga Nidra has always been a huge part of my meditation practice, especially in the last like 10, 12 years. Um, But when you're not specific about what you're trying to dissolve when working with meditation and yoga and these types of things or other modalities, when there isn't an intention, Mm. it can only take you so far because stuff is still lingering because like what lies hidden what, you know, what, what you resist persists and what lies hidden most, right. Has the most control over you. And I wasn't wanting to see that I was in a place of denial. I thought because I changed my, 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 my scene, right. I I moved and picked up and moved that I left that behind. But the reality is I did not, it was with me and it was now staring me in the face with as a lump Mm. (laughs) in my breast. And it was like, Time to deal, girlfriend. Did you know that right away because of your, your, you know, being in tune? Did you know right away or did it take some, like, is this in hindsight or did you know right away that, that it's all of this unresolved stuff? So I've always been a seeker and a person who believes that it's not just one thing. It's not just what lies on the surface. It's always what's underneath. And I, even as a little girl, I always wanted to find meaning and understanding. Mm. Like I remember journaling about friendships or arguments and, oh, I wish I could have been more like this. I wonder why that happened or just questioning, like there's got to be something more. And I've always been a seeker. And I've always, for me, there's, there's always purpose. There's always like a deeper understanding of like why things are happening yeah. and you get that a lot in the yoga world. So it resonates with me that like, for example, Louise L. Hayes, Mm -hmm. like you can heal yourself, like you can heal your body. And I've heard these stories throughout time. I've heard throughout the years 
um, people, you know, miraculously healing their, their, um, their cancer mm-hmm. or whatever through, um, meditation or going on a retreat or this or that. Um, so it's like, I knew that I would take a more holistic approach Yes, because that's very much who I am. Yeah. Um, and it's something that's just been instilled since I was little as well. I mean, my mother's from Mexico. I grew up like, she was a little curandesa, like just like you know, offering teas and, you know, herbs, it's always been a really big part of my life. You know, my sister's an acupuncturist. Acupuncture became a part of my life when I was 18, um, to deal with my own, um, menstrual issues. And since I was 18, I've been doing, you know, traditional Chinese, um, herbs and acupuncture. And that has been extremely, um, um, beneficial and helpful um, and I've had great success with That's it. That's awesome. Um, so I've always dabbled in the alternative and the complementary medicine. I have a question for you. When you yeah. got the diagnosis or when you discovered yeah. that the, there were lumps, of course, the normal human response is fear. But I'm curious, how did you alchemize that? And how soon were you able to do that? Like, what percentage were you in belief that you could heal it without a doubt? And what percentage was there fear or did they always dance together? Or did you just say, this is how it's going to be. Give me a little insight to what your like inner life was. Yeah. Yeah, It's a great question. I think initially um, it was fear was pretty heavy and I remember even just when the lump was, the one lump was found, because there was two. Um, the first lump that was found in, um, in November or December, actually, was December 4th of 2019. Um, rather, I'm sorry, that was actually 2018. Wasn't it? No, it was 2019. 2020. Yeah. Anyways, no, no, it was 2020, January of 2020 that I had my thermography. I just had a, oh, okay. a yeah, moment yeah. there. That's okay. Yeah. It was 2020 okay. when I went back to San Francisco after being in Minnesota for two weeks. Got Sorry, it. I need to get that straight. Um, but I remember I was kind of just like figuring out how to deal with this. So initially I did some um, recording, like actual um, video recordings of myself, kind of journaling what I was feeling at the time. And I didn't realize how I'd slipped into this martyrdom victimhood mentality where like all this wrong had been done to me. And I knew that I needed to snap out of it. So I actually turned to psilocybin and I did do a month of microdosing. I had a friend in Marin who had some beautiful psilocybin that was homegrown and made into beautiful chocolates. And I just utilized that. And um, I felt in that month's time, I felt it was as though like a part of my brain opened up and there were new pathways created. And I was able to accept that a lump had been found. And there was like a feeling of it was like a really quiet feeling of, you got this. Everything's going to be okay. I just got goosebumps throughout my yeah. whole body. Like I could sob right now yeah. feeling yeah. that. Yeah. And it was, it was that moment. It was this reassurance that came from within. And 
I started to have this spark of joy come back. I actually started to fall in love with San Francisco again, even though I like drastically changed my diet. No sugar, no alcohol, no dairy, no chicken, no um, wheat. Mm. And I just drastically, and then I started to lose weight. That felt good. Um, And then COVID hit and I was like, I got to get out of here. I need to be by family. I need to... So it was time for me to just come home. And um, that brings me to July of 2020. Yeah. And I ended up moving back um, because also they had closed a lot of the facilities that did more like these types of complementary type of techniques. So I wasn't even able to get in for a thermography or no, um, I wanted to go in for this special type of biopsy. Um that was super non-invasive. And mm. I remember that clinic was closed. So I was very limited there. Got it. Yeah. Whereas in yep. Minnesota, so, things were a little bit more open still. They were. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Wow. So yep. you're at this point, you're back in Minnesota and you know you have two lumps and you've done this actually only one at the time (laughs) oh and so still only the one what was the plan around that lump then while you you know I I understand that you did the psilocybin and that helped you expand your awareness and your comfort level and kind of shift your perspective but so what was the plan in for you like what was your plan then at that time So at that time, um, it was kind of like baby steps for me, especially in the Western medical world. Um, I was definitely up against, you know, an institution that does not support people going against the grain, having their own opinions about things. And they just kind of have their protocol and they just kind of shuffle you along. And I was the one who was like, nope, sorry, I'm not engaging in that. I pick and choose what's right for my body and for me. And I remember I spoke to a general practitioner at New Kingdom here in Minnesota. We have a really great New Kingdom, um, which is an amazing clinic that is just really open to people um, having the freedom of choice and also um, body autonomy. And I, um, she did recommend, she's like, I recommend that you go get an ultrasound. So I got an ultrasound on the one lump. And it was um, found to be like solid and black, which is typically either something they said it's it could be a cyst. There's a a small chance it's a cyst, but it could possibly some be something more. So they recommended biopsy, mm. and I went in for the first biopsy. Um, and again, nothing can prepare you for the day you get the call from your doc that says we have found that it is invasive ductile carcinoma. And I remember that day, again, the tears and the crying that came for me, the wailing that came for me, I just, there was just profound hurt and pain. Mm. Um, And I remember uh, my friend um, who we've been friends since we were 11, just so happened to call me right after I got this call and I told her and I just, the anger that came forth too, you know, so it's like a whole grieving, you're grieving, right? right? It's just like this perpetual grieving process, right? You know, with this, it's such a roller coaster ride. And she's like, no, Aaliyah, no. And I'm like, yes, it's fucking cancer, you know? So like, 
this comes out of you and you're just like, you know, raging. And of course she was so gracious with me and she's like, and then we just both cried and mm-hmm. because nothing can prepare you to say those, utter those words. Right. Um, and I remember I spoke to my sister, but actually my sister showed up at my house where I was staying where I was living at the time. She drove a half an hour because she just knew I was going to need her. And she showed up. Thank you for family. <laughs> Thank goodness for family because, boy, if I like didn't feel loved before, I certainly felt loved by them during this process. Wow. Um, a lot of healing went on at that time as well with my family. And my sister showed up, and I remember her saying, Leah, this is between you and God. And I said, yeah, you're right. I was a little, like, mad at her because I wanted her to help me. You know, she's my big sister and she gets everything in the medical world because she's an acupuncturist and she gets all of that. And she said, you know, I can do this for you and this research for you, but it's your journey and it's yours and it has to be yours, you know, in order for you to come out the other side healed. And I was like, Ooh, wow, you're right. And it was like in that moment, you know, I wanted to be mad at her. <laughs> of course. But then I was like, no, this this is mine. And I got here and I can get myself out, you know. And it was just like, pull up those bootstraps. Let's get it going. And it was just um, a matter of time where um, I they recommended an MRI. Um, I did have an MRI. And that's when the second lump was found. And then I had another, um, um, what's it called, biopsy done. And that was also found to be cancerous. And what's interesting, there were two separate tumors not connected. Oh. Very interesting. On the interior of the breast. And, which is also very peculiar. That's not very common. Were you worried, Aaliyah, about the timeline that was happening in the time that it took to discover them? And the growth that it might be doing? Or did you just feel at this point okay with things? You know, not necessarily. Because of my understanding of what cancer is and having the knowledge of traditional Chinese medicine, having, you know, again, I'm not trained in this. This is just my research, my experience. Yeah. But I knew that eliminating sugar, which is the number one culprit when it comes to cancer, it feeds it. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is that we all, all of us have cells in our body that aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing at any given time. It's your body's inability to get rid of them. That is the problem. That's the hiccup. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that something was happening metabolically. There was something going on in my body. Mm. And what I later discovered is I have estrogen dominance. So I had estrogen just basically recycling itself in my body, essentially creating tumors in my breast. And and my liver had an inability. It can collect garbage. It just sucks at, it's challenged to remove the garbage. So I just had to like learn all the things to do to help with liver function, how to eat for my liver, how to, what supplements to take. So that was a whole separate journey. So I had enough faith in that knowledge of me shifting, number one, my mind. Yeah. And two, diet, taking care of myself every single day, showing up, working on, it's like self-love 
right? And I also didn't realize how much I despised my breasts for so long. Wow. Right? Prior to this that, diagnosis? Yes. Wow. I had always despised my breasts. It was, it you know, being, I remember developing as a young girl. I mean, I was a 36C at, at 11 years old. Wow. And it's, that's a big responsibility for a young girl, yes. right, to take on. And it, there was just years and years of just really despising my breasts. And it was time to shift that right from within and to learn to accept them as they were. And so there was a lot of healing that was initiated before I even found out it was cancer. And before the second lump was found, it was devastating to find a second lump, yes. But at the same time, I knew that, like, I knew I had a way out. I knew that I was going to be able to figure this out. And what what shifted for you that you just knew that? Was it your sister having that faith or belief in you and kind of almost, what what were the factors? Because... I mean, I'm just imagining that like as much as I practice, you know, some of my meditation and prayer and yoga and self-care, it's like, it's really putting you to the test of when it's time that it counts, like where are your beliefs and where is your faith? Like, I think that's a fear that could be a fear inducing thing for so many people. Like, how did you make that shift? you know, because so many people can't or don't or don't know how. And was it a combination of the, the, just all of the things that you've described? Or what do you feel like there was? Yeah. Okay. It's, that's a beautiful question. I, it was, it was handing it over to God, to divine. And truly doing it at the time and, and truly doing it and actually listening. And it was keeping the lines of communication open I've always been a very spiritual spiritual person. Um, religion, I've dabbled in it. I love going to church. I love the ceremonial aspect of it. I've been to a lot of different types of churches. I believe in a higher power. Um, and this was the ultimate test. Mm. And divine did show up and did provide. And it was just every step of the way, keeping the lines of communication open and also listening because I asked for that guidance of to find the healing that was divinely mine, that was divinely right, that, you know, and I was put on this path, you know, to find the right healing modalities for me, um, to find the right surgeon, even in the Western, you know, even in the Western medical world realm, I was able to find someone who was willing to meet me where I was at, mm. who wasn't going to judge me um, for, for my choices. And it was a beautiful combination. And I even at one time when I went through, and I share this with people because also the things I've learned, like it's okay to dabble in the Western meds. I did I did a little five milligram, a little five milli of Arazepam. I can't remember. What are the PAMs? Arazepam. <laughs> Probably that. <laughs> yeah. I did a little did a little five milli to do to to for the second biopsy because I did the first one like solo, just breathing, my mom and my sister were with me and my dad, but like 
that was intense. Wow. No one can prepare you for the snipping, the sounds, the pressure on your breast, even though they do numb. Um, the reaction of the doctor, like he was like, Oh, and I was like, what? Oh, and he's like, Oh, there's liquid. He's like, I need a syringe. Get me a syringe. You know, and you're like, what's happening? What's happening? You know, like all this, you know, like you're trying to, and then like, I was like frozen. My, my shoulder was literally, my right shoulder was in my right ear and I could not relax my right arm like the entire time. And then afterwards the adrenaline, I was trembling and like, I was just, it was, I was a hot mess afterwards. So a little razapam on that second one, not going to lie. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> it was lovely. Yeah. And that's okay. And so, um, so I'm not totally poo-pooing. I definitely did a really nice, you know, combo that worked for me and resonated really well for me. Wow. Yeah. So do you feel like there was ever a point though in that, turning it over to the divine. Did that include, because, you know, we know that health is holistic, but a big component of that is like our mindset and our energy around how we're thinking about things. What did your acceptance and your turning it over to the divine, did that include accepting death or did it, did you not actually, um, entertain that at all did you just know that your path was to heal and still live on this physical plane yeah um death wasn't an option it was yeah. no longer i should be doing these things oh i should lay off the carbs or the 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 candy or i yeah. should i should not be eating this cheese i should not it was i must not right and it was when that became i must not where it, it was just, I must do this. I must show up every single day. Anything that comes up, this awareness that I have of what's happening inside with my emotions and my nervous system and learning to manage and regulate and learning to communicate. I mean, it was, it was definitely an I must. Yeah. But I will say that not wanting to die was also what propelled me. Okay. Right? Yeah. And in many ways, in some aspect, a death had already occurred. Totally. Yeah. Right? And the kind of that saying, like, you practice dying every day just a little bit, mm -hmm. you know? And I had learned that in yoga, right? That's like the end of the class. You lie in Shavasana. It's corpse pose. You're literally, you're literally pretending that you to die on your mat. I mean, you know, I mean, it's like, I know it's kind of morbid to think, but there's something very symbolic, right? right? You're, di because you're dying to the, the things that no longer serve you in that moment to be reborn again. Totally. Yeah. Because I'm a person who I am very attached to life. I'm attached to my loved ones. I'm attached. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's some thick attachment there. But going through this, it was definitely, I can say that it was a blessing. Oh, yeah. And it was an opportunity for me to become reborn. Wow. On multiple levels. Without having to croak. Right. Without having to croak. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know that, that this is getting existential, but you know, we yeah. love these topics, but it's like, I think that, right, it's like, our life can be boiled down to all of the little letting, letting goes for yep. the final letting go, which is that into transitioning into another dimension or into the next life. And so 
And I believe that we can do that without having to die. We can shift, but sometimes it does take a diagnosis, fortunately or unfortunately. Right. Yes. And then, yes. And then you do, do have a choice there too. Right. Right. I could have continued down that trajectory. Right. I could have continued to thicken my attachment to my anger, my frustration, my resentment. And instead it was, here's a fucking amazing opportunity. This is a beautiful thing. And it's like, you know, and here's kind of like what I sometimes think about is there's kind of a level of stubbornness. I come from two very long lines of stubborn people. Um, My mother's, you know, Latin, my dad's German, Irish and whatnot, but there's, there's a, there's a level of stubbornness, but that stubbornness is what allowed me to heal and to find my way back to wholeness. But at the same time, that stubbornness was what didn't allow me to let go for a very long time of some really deep rooted, deep seated resentment and anger and all of this. Yeah. Right. And it just always reminds me, like my teacher always talks about like, you know, you know, if your yoga is like working, if you're like thinning out, right, the, the like, what is it like the connection or the, um, to your attachments, right? Like thinning it out and like thinning out maybe the more, the, 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 the less, I would say, how am I going to say this? Like not less positive aspects of one's personality, but the less, um, desired aspects mm. of one's personality. Cause like I, I can be a resentful person yeah. and I, and I see that and being honest about that, but ultimately that resentment, you can understand it like cognitively in the forefront of your brain. Like you're like, yes, I understand this. I'm a resentful person. But if subconsciously there's a pattern there that's still bringing you down that pathway and you're not addressing it, you're going to continue to live there. Totally. So it's a lot. And so hypnosis, meditation, homeopathy, working with like a homeopath really to, to thin out these, 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 um, tendencies in my personality to be more passive, to not have a voice to, um, which was a huge part of my healing to be able to speak up, have a voice, not necessarily be passive all the time. And how do I, right. And not be so resentful because when you're so passive and you don't speak your truth, resentment builds. I, right and frustration. Aaliyah, I think you're hitting on something so major that I see in actually a lot of cl- my clients and a lot of women in general and just humans is this yeah. this ability to use our voice in a way that's authentic but still constructive and intentional without either blowing up and exploding like using our voice but in a way that's explosive or yes. damaging or yes. keeping it in and like what you're saying being resentful and letting it eat you. And it's yes. like, I, I find that that is, and, and you're proof of that, but it's like how devastating that can be to our biochemistry and our health. Yes. To not, yes. not only speak our truth, but then to be the resentful about that. Wow. Yes. Yes. And I mean, and we know this from like the ancient sages, right? There was a connection between mind and body. Mm-hmm. And the impact that our emotions and how we are taking in the world, right? I study primarily like it's more tantra, but it is. It's like our worldview, right? If you, you know your external world is is a mirror, is a mirror of your internal world, and you know it's it's 
not easy. It's a practice. It's something I still work on even to this day in my relationships to make sure that I am speaking up when I need to or sharing what's happening because I am a very emotional person and I feel very deeply. And that is a really beautiful thing about me that I feel so deeply, but at the same time, it can also write what's happening to my nervous system and physiologically can be kind of damaging, right? Right. It could potentially. So it's finding that balance. And again, it's like that equanimity. It's like yoga isn't saying that you're just supposed to be a robot and not actually feel anything, right? It's no, you feel those highs and lows, but you got to keep coming back to the baseline. You've got to keep coming back to equanimity. And that, that is the practice. And for me now it's just, it's definitely more, you know, I gotta, I gotta keep a, an eye on it. Right. Even more so. So thank you so much for that. Just, I, I yeah. just feel like I, I'm so grateful for you and your vulnerability right now. And just your honesty about your journey. It's, it's really meaningful. Um, I'm curious about what are you <laughs> doing now or what have you been doing that, have you kept up the same practices or have you eased back a little, but still kept that connection? And, and like, tell me, tell for the listeners too, a little bit about like, are you still eating super clean or do you find more balance? Um, what are your practices? Like how, what I I thought that you had told me in one of our other conversations that you also utilize, um, high dose vitamins IV. And I would love to Mm. hear about that and some things that you're doing now, Um, and you know, what that balance is for you, if it's different than when you first got the diagnosis or if it's the same. Yeah, that has evolved over the almost like over two years now. Um, you know, I did a lot of research, so I got to doing research and I of course was going to do Gerson therapy if you've heard about that. And so I got the juicer, I got the press, I got, you know, but ultimately it didn't, end up resonating with me so much because of the sugar component Mm. and aspect of, of the juicing and the carrots and all of that. But I was getting prepared for it. I got got a refrigerator for my uh, sister and I was like buying the carrots. I was getting ready. And then I just started reading this book called the metabolic approach to cancer and um, started learning about how being more keto low carb is the way to go Um, and intermittent fasting. So Um, and so I still do that. Um, I have definitely lightened up a little bit on being so, so stringent with my eating. Um, I think I'm more probably about 80, 20, so 80% controlling and 20, not controlling, but like being mindful. Um, I, that I work, I wanted to back up and kind of say, like, I do work with a naturopath oncologist out of, um, Durango, Colorado. So I meet with her now. It's initially was like every two months, every two to three months. And then when every four, and now it's every six months, um, because my blood work looks really good. My inflammation markers are down. Everything's looking really good. Um, I work heavily with, um, with, um, supplements, making sure that, I'm doing everything possible to um, get my liver functioning optimally um, so that it can take out the garbage. Mm-hmm. And um, digestion is huge. I work with microbiome, um, like dirt water, if you've heard of that. I mean, I do all the things. I take a very um, like terrain theory approach to healing. So it's really, it's 
it's everything. It's a very holistic approach to, it's not just one thing. It's all the things. It's the, the dirt water plus the, the probiotics. It's the vitamin D and everything. When you're saying dirt water, yeah. you mean in the diatomaceous earth? No, no. Um, actually, if anybody's heard, um, there's, um, if you've heard of Dr. Zach Bush, he has the ion gut, gut ion water and it's like a 60 million year old dirt that he's trademarked and he pulls this particular um, component from this 60 million year old dirt. And what it does is it helps the lining of the stomach come together mm. and heal essentially. So if you ever heard of leaky gut, mm-hmm. I was I was a leaky gut person. Got it, got so so yeah. I'm wondering if that dirt has some um, silica in it or because of the Ooh. collagen, you know, like bone broth has been said to yes. heal, help heal the gut, right? And that's because of the collagen. Yes. But I'm curious about the components because um, I know diatomaceous earth. I don't know if you've heard of that. That I have. Yeah. So that has a lot of silica in it that helps rebuild our joints and, and all of that and, and, and mineralize our system so that mm-hmm. we can be dehydrated because we're all chronically dehydrated, not because of lack of water, but we're not, you know, the water that yeah. we're drinking isn't structured. And the best way to do that is actually sometimes through, through fruits and vegetables, but also through mineralization. So absolutely curious about the dirt water. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I highly recommend um, yes, water. I mean, our water is literally dead, right? Yes. So I do, I do like a little bit of sea salt in my water. I do remineralize it. And right now I'm drinking some beautiful high quality H2O from Eden Prairie, Minnesota. <laughs> we have a beautiful, uh, free aquifer water over there. And so like, I like to fill up, I was on it for a while, but, um, I was able to get over there and fill up a bunch of bottles and, I can taste the difference. Some people can't, um, but I'm just a little bit more sensitive to that. Right. Um, <clears throat> but um, yes, high dose vitamin C and ozone and a pretty cool part of my healing journey was um, in October of 2020, I started doing high dose vitamin C and ozone treatments twice a week. And <clears throat> that is what... Um, there was a lot of prayer going on as well. And I remember because the one lump that was higher up near my cleavage, um, even just sitting, you could see it. It protruded. It was probably about the size of a peanut. Um, and I remember I was like, I, t- I would tell like the people closest to me, I'm like, I think my lump is shrinking. And they're like, yes, it is. It totally is. And I'm like, no, I really do think it is. They're like, yes, I believe we believe you. <laughs> and you're know, like, praise the Lord. You know, it was like one of those moments. And um, I remember going in for surgery. So it was January t- uh, t- uh, 14th of 2021. I went in for surgery. And the after I came out, the surgeon <clears throat> came to talk to me. And she said, you know, we had to call in for an ultrasound because I couldn't find the lump. She's like, I remember being able to palpate the lump. Wait, I have a question. I'm sorry. Can we back up just a moment? So from the time that you found the second lump to your surgery, was that a whole year? No. How long? No, that was October. So I was diagnosed in October, early October of 2020. Okay. Okay. And then um, it was like the 6th of October. You know, it's like these dates will like never leave my mind, right? And... um, it was the 19th of October that I started high dose vitamin C ozone treatments, IVs. Um, and then, um, I ended up, um, 
uh, in surgery January 14th of 2021. So three months later. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Please continue. So within, yeah. I just wanted to time yeah. from there. Of, yeah. And you, so you had been taking the ozone and high, do, high dose vitamin C for about three months. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yep. Yep. And doing all the other things, <laughs> all the other things, um, included. Um, oh, yeah. Sorry to but, interrupt again. Were you working yeah. during this time too, or were you taking a hiatus to just focus on healing? Were you able to do that or were you still working? Was there a threat of that? Well, I was very, very fortunate to have just a really, really just like amazing family awesome. that stepped up to support me. And it was very humbling to um, my aunt who um, she, when things were going down, I didn't share with her what was happening until I got there. But she was like, I've got a a whole basement you can stay in a room down there and she was working from home because of covid she's like i need a home manager i need someone to cook for me every day cuz i'm here with three kids i work 70 plus hours like i need someone to help me and i was like perfect i'm the lady for the job so um i went and stayed with her and i was there for 11 months and um i also started working kind of outside of the home but um that was just primarily so it was a nice little reprieve from a really busy stressful job um, to do the things that I love, which is serve. And I love to cook and I love cooking for people. So was, that was bringing me joy. I got my cavapoo at the time. Shama came into my life like late July of that summer. And, um, so I got to just bond with her and just like hang out with this cute little dog and spend time with my family because I had been in lockdown for about six months at that point in San Francisco. It was like five or so months. And so, um, it was amazing to be around family and just be back. And my sister has four boys. So it was never a dull moment just being with family and kids. And, and I just have the most incredible family that just stepped up to help me in ways that I could just never, um, thank them enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much for saying that. I just, yeah, that's, um, it's so great. I, I love that you had that. Yeah. 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 I am so unbelievably fortunate and that they supported me in my decisions. There were some family members that didn't. <laughs> um, and that's okay. And yeah. um, I think there were some friends that didn't support. Um, but there were many that did. Um, and it was really neat to see people support me in my choices. That's yeah. amazing. This is just another question that's coming to me. Aaliyah, did you... Um, did things seem clearer to you? Did, were you able to make decisions more according to like, this is literally life or death, whether it comes to a supportive friend or not, whether you speak up or not, did things get clear in a way more clear as you went on as far as what you needed to do and who you were bringing with you in your, on your journey? Yeah. I felt just this, it was like, a, I became emboldened. It was a, very grounded, emboldened time where, yeah. And, you know, like my mother and my father who stepped up to support me and they just, it was just, it was just a beautiful thing to know that they had my back. You know, they've, they've always kind of raised me with, you know, the, the cage wide open, go fly, be a free bird. 
Um, but to be able to come home and to know that they had my back because they've always been very independent. Um, mm. but to be able to come back and know that they had me and they held me when I needed to be held was a really beautiful thing. Wow. Yeah. And also I bet for you in a way, it seems like just being able to be vulnerable enough and open to receive that yeah. was maybe a healing in and of its own, right? Of just that, that humility or humbleness or that, like the receiving. That was um, a huge part of my, my journey to wholeness was being able to receive. And mm-hmm. I remember, I mean, I've also battled some shame around having a diagnosis because that's not supposed to happen to me. I haven't used aluminum in my deodorant. I am so <laughs> granola, crunchy, you name it. I've been doing acupuncture since I was 18. Not met very many 18-year-olds. Well, and like yoga when you were nine. Yeah. So like, right. Yeah. So super granola, super crunchy. And that wasn't supposed to happen to me. So there was a lot of shame it took me a while to be able to talk about it. I remember being so nervous to tell my mom, to tell my dad. My sister was the only one that knew for a long time, and that was a lot for her to bear. That was a lot of um, you know, intense stuff for her to also bear, and she needed to share because mm. she's a vault. She didn't even tell her husband, and then she did need to share because it was hard. It was hard on my family mm. to see to see me um, go through that. And that was humbling. And that brought us closer. And, you know, it was really sweet. Like my first biopsy, my dad was there, my mom was there, my sister and I, and my parents have been divorced since I was two. And the four of us, and it was just a moment where we were like, this is like the original four, you know, it's just, it was this cute moment, you know, that these two people that brought me here, brought us here. And, yeah, it was just a time to come together and I just just can't be I'm just so grateful for my family, you know. Mm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So I want to see if you would talk a little bit about like I know we we kind of talked a little bit off camera and we've talked and and when we've gotten together here in the last couple months, few months about this idea of like I want to touch on like what's different now and how is your relationship specifically with your breasts and what do you think that a lot of women are missing or not doing when it comes to their breasts, whether that be a physical action or activity or even just a mindset. Like I know you can't speak for other women, but from your experience, like I I know you were talking a little bit about like the connection and the sim symbolism of the breast and all of that that's, you know, entailed in that and how there's a connection and a link. I think, I don't even know if it's in Chinese medicine, but with the ovaries. Absolutely. The breast, yeah. Right? They and mirror all of the hormones. Yeah. So maybe just speak a little bit to like how your relationship with yourself and your breasts have changed now and oh, like yeah. what's different now. I know all yeah. these other things are different, but how is that? Oh yeah. I love my breasts now. I love them. Yeah, <laughs> I do. And I'm so yeah. grateful. You know, it used to be like, you know, I was so afraid to like jiggle them or wiggle them because I thought I was going to like damage them in some way. And then I like, I heard that women who are joggers or runners have less incident of breast cancer because they are shaking and moving their breasts and lymph is moving. So every day I'm on a rebounder. I, nice. I do the Louis L. Hayes, you know, a little shout out to that magnificent being. 
um, that gave us so much knowledge. And um, yeah, at least like a minimum of 10, 15 minutes. And then I do another big part of a workout that I got into um, when COVID started in San Francisco um, was called the class. And that's out of New York, Taryn Toomey, if you're familiar, but and it's like somatic and like it weaves in kind of like these yogic elements. There's sound, there's releasing. And I would find myself just crying and then laughing and just like this release through the physical body. So I know when I need to do that. So I do that a couple of times a, a week to just like decompress whatever's been stored, whatever's accumulated. So continuously working on that. But this so, is, yeah. so is that the class? Is that more I mean, even though that's physical, is that more of like a way that you release emotions for you or one of the ways? Yes. Yes. And I also journal and through prayer and there's a lot of things and using homeopathy um, and I use emotional freedom technique. There's a lot of techniques going on, a lot of hypnosis. Um, But um, for me, this is the most I've ever loved my breasts. Like, wow. And it feels so good to say that because it was so for so long, truly despising them and them being such an inconvenience. Now I love them. I'm like, it's so great to have you. <laughs> like, right. And it's authentic and genuine. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you I know, love that. and you're right. The mirroring of the, the ovaries, I've heard that as well. I think there's something to that. Um, it's, it's also that nurturance, right? Women, they mm-hmm. give, they feed, right, with their breasts. And I think there is a huge part because I'm such a nurturer. When I wasn't able to express that, what I do is I nurture myself, right? And it's that daily nurturance of myself that has become a big part of this, right? I love that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's this this it's almost like I've heard before, again, I'm not in anybody's body. I'm not in anyone's journey, but it's like, you know, both of my grandmas had breast cancer and I'm, I'm curious to look up because I actually have Louise Hay. I have that book and I reference it a lot online, the causes um, of things and symptoms. Like I really like mm-hmm. to reference that. Um, but I guess, and I'm not sure if that's in Louise Hay's book. It I is. I'm curious. There but is what I, for breasts. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious what that says now, but, but the resonance that I'm hearing sometimes is it's this idea that a lot of times breast cancer has sometimes to do with, um, we're as women, we're constantly giving to others and giving and giving and nurturing too much, but not to ourselves and, yeah. and we're being depleted. Yep. So Yes. Again, that's interesting, right? And of then like culturally, like how women we've been programmed and because of the patriarchy and because of what our roles have been traditionally, and then what that's doing to our biochemistry and our bodies and how that manifests and where that manifests, whether that's in our voice or in our breasts. It's interesting. What were you going to say? No, yeah, totally. And I, I, I totally agree. And it's also you know, emotionally, right. When you're not giving yourself, you're so depleted and you're giving to everyone else or everything else, the resentment steps in, right. Mm -hmm. And behind cancer is a lot about resentment, right. These little, little daggers of resentment, these little spites that we hold on to. Right. And when that was the biggest, one of the biggest lessons was I need to show up for myself. It's not about 
everybody else showing up for me. It's about me showing up for me on a daily basis as I am. What do I need? How can I provide some type of nurturance, self, you know, self-care, all of these terms, but whatever. Show up for myself, ultimately. It's no one else's responsibility but my own, right? Mm. And I've noticed that people show up for me differently because I show up for myself first, right? Totally. Well, I was just going to touch on that. Like, you know, in relationships, how do you reconcile this idea of wanting to serve and be there for yourself, but also having needs in relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's a fine line and that's probably a whole other topic. Totally. That's another, that's a whole nother podcast. (laughs) That's a whole nother episode. And I, and I also, I think about that a lot as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, there's this spiritual or like philosophy that feels true for a lot of us or a lot of people that really we, we should, we're, we love ourselves first. We meet our own needs first, but then there's also another paradigm that's like, but we're, we're, we're a part of a whole and we need each other and we're, we need community and we're social creatures. And the times before capitalism, when we were bartering mm-hmm. and relied more heavily on community and those yes. needs. So I think about those things and I guess I don't have the answer, but it's just interesting that that's coming up of we meet our own needs in a way, but then how do we still be available for each other? Yes. I mean, well, you it's, know, about it's almost a shift, right? It's yes. like a shift mentally too. It is. First. And I think it's, but then it's what allows you to create that connection. And then you're truly connecting. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like the connection, yes, you have needs within whatever relationship dynamic, whatever that is. Um, and that's being, that can be communicated right in a healthy way, or at least attempt to, right. I'm not the best at it. I'm still working on it. Still a student of that. Um, because I'm the type of person where I actually, I thought for so long I was a lonely person. It's not that I was lonely. It's I'm a person who actually enjoys solitude, right? Yes. Being in solitude. I have done a 10 day meditation course. I didn't feel bad about not being around people or talking to people. Right. I mean, you know, and granted, I went through my own healing journey during that, but I don't have a problem with meditation. Not, and I'm not trying to boast. I'm not trying to be like, oh, meditation is so easy. It's not about that. It's when I go in, I go in and I go deep. That I don't struggle with. I can go to the mountainside, I can go to the cave. But what I struggle with is interacting with other people, right? Peopling. Peopling. I love that. I struggle with peopling. It's true. Well, like what I like to say is that I love people really deeply and I feel things deeply and I love humanity and I think about solving some of the world's problems and how I can best go about that. But I but I don't want to hang out with you. <laughs> no, that's not true. I actually do love people, but I'm an yeah. introvert and extrovert, so yeah. I'm with you. Me too. Like it's so comfortable for me to be with my own energy and dive into my own world. Yes. That going in to deal with another human being is the yoga, is the complexity, mm-hmm. is the harder thing. Whereas for a lot of people, it's the reverse. People are used to being distracted and meeting other people's needs and not going within. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? A lot of the time. Totally. Or 
Yeah. I mean, it's just everyone well, has their own journey. And it took me, yes. And it took me until I was 34 years old living in San Francisco that I realized by definition, I'm an introvert. And I never understood why I struggled in relationships that I was, for example, dating men that needed so much of my attention. And I was like, oh, get away. What is happening here? <laughs> like I was annoyed by it and like frustrated and I felt so depleted. And it was just like, oh, like I, but I had my own issues at the time too. Like, yeah, I'm not exempt from that either. Um, cause it was also filling a need for me, a uh, unhealthy need, but mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um, to be needed in that way. Cause that in its own is its own addiction to be the addiction to be needed. Right. Um, so I'm not, I'm not exempt, but yeah, I just looking back now, I understand right more about wow. myself. Yeah. I love that. So I guess, um, back to, this relationship with your breast, like, what do you think? And I know you can only speak from your, yourself, mm-hmm. but what do you think women are sometimes missing? Is it the, like in relation to their breast health, like from your perspective? And again, it's your perspective. Mm-hmm. You're not a medical professional, but right. you have your own lens and your own experience in your own journey. Yeah. Like, what do you think is missing? Is it like, and ju- is it just a mindset of actually loving them? Yeah, I appreciating them. Yeah, yeah, I yes, I I wish you know if it could be a wish list, I wish I would have accepted my breasts a lot sooner, and I wish I would have worked on resolving my resentment a lot earlier. Mm. And I wish that I would have gotten my first thermography when I was eighteen, so I'd have this really great baseline of what my healthy breasts were, and then I could see yearly how maybe there was some inflammation or some congestion that needed to be addressed. Are you, can you just talk about, and I know people can do their own research, but is thermography pretty accessible? Would you say? I believe it it is. Mm -hmm. It's usually out of pocket. So insurance, unfortunately for a lot of these adjunct treatments, they're not covered. Um, So it is out of pocket, but I believe they run you like $200. So $200 a year to set aside, um, I think is worth it um, to get a better picture of what's going on. Um, And a safer picture, it sounds like. And a safer picture, non-invasive, non-invasive. Awesome. Yeah. Well, so I guess I want to ask if to some of our listeners, if someone is going through this right now, through a diagnosis of any kind, but in particular, like a breast diagnosis of breast cancer, or if they know someone that is, is there anything, I mean, you've said so many nuggets of wisdom on this episode right now (laughs) already, but is there anything that you would say to them right now, whether it's advice or words of wisdom, like, and I know that that's a heavy burden to be asked, but I mean, if someone's just completely lost and finding out and, you know, who knows if they've delved into holistic health or not, but maybe they're just feeling lost and afraid. Right. Yeah. And I, and everybody has their journey with this and what you choose is perfect as long as you are informed and you've done your research. So I just always tell people become empowered, Mm -hmm. do your research and know that there's a voice inside of you that's always talking to you. Start to listen. Yeah. Start to tune in. 
start to right. tune in. Right. Awesome. Yeah. So Aaliyah, can you tell the listeners if they have questions or want to contact you for any reason? Yeah. Can you tell them how to get a, best get a hold of you at this time? Yeah, I would say um, through email. It's my name, Aaliyah.sheehan at gmail.com. Should I spell it out? Yeah, maybe spell that. And I'll <laughs> yeah. also put it in the show notes oh, perfect. too. Perfect. So yeah. it's A L double E A H dot Sheehan S H, another double E. H A N at Gmail. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. My so pleasure. if anyone wants to reach out to Aaliyah or feels compelled, um, please reach out to her. She's open to that. Mm-hmm. Aaliyah, do you have any final thoughts about well, and I just want to tell everybody that Aaliyah calls it can cure. And I mm-hmm. think that that's so brilliant because it's a reframe mm-hmm. on that word, which the word cancer in itself holds a vibration of fear among other things. Yes. And so, yeah. And so, it's important to start hearing the success stories and what exactly. has worked for other people and opening it up. I think it's really important. There are books out there that have been written on it. And oftentimes you just don't hear and doctors don't hear back from those patients because, you know, they have one bout or one brush with it and then they're fine the rest of their life. Um, right. So, yeah. So thank you so much for just coming on and sharing your story and your wisdom. I really appreciate you. You're such an amazing human. And thank you. I just, I hope that my wish is that someone hearing this really feels inspired or supported. And I think my biggest takeaway is, and you know, honestly, you're the first person I'm I'm very humble in the sense that I know there's a lot to learn, but I'm very holistic. Like I've been into the holistic world for a long time and I have never heard, I had never heard of thermography Mm -hmm. and how sad is that? So the biggest takeaway for me and hopefully for some of the listeners is there is an alternative way. And if the way that's being presented to you doesn't feel good, listen to that and just know Mm -hmm through Aaliyah's stories and other stories that there is another way yeah, and that we can navigate that mm-hmm. and Aaliyah's proof of that. Any other final, yeah. Any other final words for the listeners? I just think you said it beautifully. I just, that is my mission just to start telling my story and to show that there is another way and to inspire that spark of hope that there is and that you can do it, you know, it's, it is doable and, um, kind of disarm that word of cancer. Right. And I think that's really important. Kind of, you touched on it, why I call it can cure, because I do believe that you can cure it. Um, I know that there are situations where, um, there is no turning back. There is no remedy for that. I understand that. And that is an unfortunate situation. I know that it is out there. Um, but I think that just shifting the paradigm is where it's at. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and I mean, sure. just to, just to add on to what you said, I feel like that for me, um, I think belief is super powerful mm-hmm. and like Bruce Lipton wrote, you know, um, the biology of belief and how our beliefs literally shape our biology and can alter it. 
really in a really powerful way. So yes. I think well, it's a holistic approach, but the belief aspect of it. And that's huge too. And even thinking like Lipton, he also talks about epidemiology, right? Where you're expressing different genes based on stress and what's going on. And I remember Dr. Nasha Winter, she mentions, I've heard that it's five to 10% is actually genetic when it comes to cancer. And she says it's less than 5%. Yeah. Right. So everybody's so stuck on, oh my gosh, it's my genes, my genes. I don't oh, have the genes. I don't have totally. cancer in my family. My great, no. my great grandmother had a lump and, but in the Western medical world, that that's not even close enough. That's not, that's nothing to them. They're just like, nope, no history. Well, but that begs the question though. And that's a really good point. And I, I know we're, we we're going to wrap up here, yes, but, sorry. and I could talk to you for another hour, yeah. honestly, about various topics, but yeah. on the topic of epigenetics, which I think has been profoundly shown to that there's like, I I mean, I think that the figure is that there's literally only four or five true genetic disorders that are inherited. Mm, wow. There's not very many. So it begs the question, even if our grandmothers or grandfathers or parents had cancer, was that truly a gene or was that lifestyle and epigenetics? Because, you know, it's like, what turns genes on and off is our internal totally. and external environment, not the gene itself. And we know that now through amazing research and through, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, Dr. Bruce Lipton, he got chastised. He was a medical doctor. And when he made this discovery, no one was willing to accept it. And I think more and more people are understanding and accepting that yes, now. For sure. But so, yeah, just that our beliefs are so powerful and they are. Yes. Food matters. Yes. Yes what we're doing matters, our movement matters, but just like the belief and the mindset, I think oh, that's powerful. When you've got stinking thinking, my grandma, she <laughs> and used to always say that there's that stinking thinking again, when you've got stinking thinking, it, it can wreak havoc. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, Aaliyah, thank you so much. You're seriously amazing. Oh, and thanks, Samantha. Thanks for having yeah. me on. This was amazing. Yeah. It was so awesome talking thank you. to you. And again, Likewise. for all the listeners, if you want to get a hold of Aaliyah, I'll put the her email in the show notes and she'll be available if you want to reach out to her for any reason. Great. Aaliyah, have a wonderful rest of your day and thank you so much. Thanks. You too. Bye. Okay. Bye. And hey, I also want to invite you to join me for my six-month coaching program. I'll work with just you one-on-one, -on -one, and I'm going to help you get the results that I know you can get. I promise your life will be different. Go to www.rebelheartcoaching.com to sign up for a consult today. I'll see you inside.